Welcome to the Mindfulness Academy podcast. I'm your host, Amy Morgan. And on today's show, I am so happy to introduce you to Tom Sproles. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you, Amy. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Tom. He is a licensed Indiana funeral director and has been for 32 years. He graduated from Cincinnati College of Mortuary Science and earned a bachelor's degree in business administration from Indiana Wesleyan University. For many years, Tom served in a regional management capacity, leading 35 funeral homes and 17 cemeteries. Tom owns Sproul's Family Funeral Home in Newcastle, Indiana, which he founded in 2006. In 2014, then-Indiana Governor Mike Pence appointed Tom to the Indiana State Board of Cemetery and Funeral Service, where he serves as chairman. Tom is a Maxwell-certified leadership speaker, trainer, and coach. Tom's mission is to add value to everyone he meets. He speaks on such topics as hospitality, leadership, and understanding personality through the Enneagram. Tom has been married to Mary Beth, an RN, for 32 years, and they have three children and three grandchildren. Tom loves to ride motorcycles, travel, and have deep conversations over coffee. Welcome again, Tom. Here we go into a very unique conversation for this podcast. Yes. I've been looking forward to this for several weeks now. Um, we, I like to start the conversation with a little bit about how we met and then kind of sure. get into a little bit about, uh, who you are on a deeper level. Um, I don't know how our paths didn't necessarily cross before March of 2020, when my father passed away and, right. and Sproles, um, your, your family funeral home business, um, took care of my family in, in, in a masterful way, um, right. I think that's where we met. I, I don't know if we knew of each other before then, although my family knew of you. Yes, yes. No, I think that is where you and I met, and we were very honored to care for your dad and serve your family during that time. I actually met your mom uh, many, many years ago at a diabetes support group. That's one thing she and I have shared in common, and so that's how I got to know her probably 30 years ago, I'm guessing, but um but yes, we were we were honored to serve your family and and have since, and uh, so I'm just uh, feel so honored to be on your show today and to uh, have a conversation about grief and mindfulness. Um, me as well. Very excited for this. Uh, tell me a little bit about where you grew up. A little bit more about you besides the bio. Sure, sure. Well, um, I'm originally from Eastern Tennessee. I was born in Kingsport, Tennessee, and my family on both sides, my mom and dad's side are from uh, the Bristol area. My dad was from Bristol, Virginia, and my mom from Bristol, Tennessee, about a mile from each other. But uh, when I was probably three years old, uh, my dad uh, dedicated his life to Christ and felt a call to ministry. And so we moved to Knoxville, Tennessee when I was three, and he pastored a church there uh, until I was nine. And then we moved to Salisbury, North Carolina. As, you know, PKs, preacher's kids do, we kind of move around just a little bit. And we were in North Carolina until I was 14, and we moved to Newcastle uh, when I was 14 years old, and we've been here ever since. So about 40 years we've been here in Newcastle. So Newcastle is home. Uh, but but we did start off in the South. 
So are you a Trojan? Um, I am I am an honorary Trojan. <laughs> so I, I graduated from a private school in Muncie. Uh, when we, we arrived here, my parents uh, put us in a, in a a Christian school in Muncie, Muncie Christian Academy. And, uh, but I grew up playing basketball uh, at Baker Park with the Trojans and, and uh, a lot of my friends uh, are Trojans. So I, I feel, yes, I, I am a Newcastle Trojan at heart. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely basketball country. So I'm glad yes. you were able to embrace that. Is, That's right. is basketball as big of a deal in the South? I'm, I'm not sure that it is. Well, um, there was, uh, when I was a teenager in North Carolina, there was this young guy. Uh, let me see if I can remember his name. I think his name was something like Michael Jordan. Well, who, uh, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Who, so who that may have lit a fire in the South. <laughs> That's right. In fact, right before we moved up here in the spring of 84, I can remember the uh, North Carolina Tar Heels with Michael Jordan played the uh, IU Hoosers with some guy named Steve Alford. It's the first time I ever heard the name Steve Alford. And lo and behold, we moved to Newcastle and just two blocks. We lived just two blocks down from the Alfords. So uh, that was a small world. But uh, overall, uh, there's no state like Indiana when it comes to basketball, um, even though there there's a few stars here and there from other places. But yeah, we're definitely basketball people here in, in Newcastle. Absolutely. Yes. So you are the funeral director at Sproul's Funeral Home in Newcastle. I'm wondering what led you to open Sproles in 2006? You've been doing this a long time. What what led to that? Yes, well, it had always been a dream of mine since becoming a funeral director many years ago to own my own funeral home. And I, I've been very blessed in my career. I've, I've been able to uh, manage many funeral homes and really, uh, I tell people I earned a Harvard MBA in funeral service um, over the years uh, working for a larger company. But um, my goal was to open a funeral home in our hometown. In 2006, the timing was just right. And so I was tired of, of the corporate life, to be honest with you. And I wanted to uh, provide families a, a very meaningful funeral experience. And the only way I could really do that is to do it myself. And, uh, you know, you're restricted by some degree when you when you're working for other people. So uh, I had, you know, a, an experience in mind that I wanted to create for the families we serve, one that goes very well with our topic today, mindfulness. And so that's what we've been able to do over the last 17 years. And so it was born out of a desire to serve families uh, in a manner that I I thought may be lacking uh, in some in some areas where the focus may be more on the business end and maybe not so much on the ministry end. And so it's it's a balance. And so I've been very grateful to our community for supporting us and and allowing us to serve families um, during their time of need. You could have gone into a lot of different fields, though. Sure, sure. With your background and your training. Right. Why the funeral? Yes. Profession? Well, that's a very good question. And uh, to be honest, I had never 
until I was 19 years old, it had never crossed my mind. I, I grew up wanting to be an attorney. In fact, I'd enrolled at Indiana University uh, to study pre-law, and that was going to be my track in life. But being a preacher's kid and having a lot of friends who were preacher's kids, they were going to a Bible college over in Cincinnati, and they twisted my arm and convinced me just to take one year and just come over and let's have fun this first year. You know, you can take basic courses and they'll transfer, you know, when you get ready. So so I did. I, I went to uh, God's Bible School and College in Cincinnati uh, for a year. And then I moved back home and I needed a part-time job, to be honest, before I furthered my education. I needed a part-time job. And it's a very long story, but but my mom actually is the one who came home one day and said, oh, Tom, I have found the perfect job for you. And uh, as moms do, they 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 tend to know us better than than maybe anyone else at that time. And so I said, well, mom, what's that? She said, working in a funeral home. And I laughed and I said, you have got to be out of your mind. I had never in my life considered working in a funeral home. I did not like that idea at all. But my dad came home about that time from work and said, oh, I know the owner up there. I'll give him a call. I, I think they wanted me to get a job is the whole thing that they were um, after. So my dad set up an appointment. I went up and met with um, Mark Frame, the owner of Main and Frame Funeral Home in Newcastle, and uh, started working, got the job, started working part time. And, and it was just it was my calling. Uh, it fit me. I love serving people. I love people, love helping people through a difficult time. People are appreciative of your help at that time. And it just fit me uh, perfectly. And so I then switched and I went back to Cincinnati, actually, to Cincinnati College of Mortuary Science at Xavier University. And I graduated in 1991 uh, from, from Xavier. So it has been my life's calling and my life's passion. Some people, you know, they talk about struggling to find their purpose in life. Um, well, finding purpose has never been, uh, that's, I've had many battles, but that's never been one of them. Uh, it's, I've, I've had a very personally rewarding and fulfilling career in funeral service. If I quit today, I would be very fulfilled. I have no plans to quit today, but, <laughs> but if I did, <laughs> I would, I would leave very fulfilled. Oh, what yes. a story. Yeah. Story. So I'm going to hop right into some of the meat of this conversation that we sure, have cooking. Sure. Okay. I'm wondering why, since we're talking about death and mindfulness, yes. I'm wondering why death talking about it uh -huh. makes us uncomfortable. Well, that's uh, that's a very good question. And I would I would answer that. First of all, what comes to mind is uh, you know. Death, the, the number one fear, they say, the, the number one fear is public speaking. And followed closely behind public speaking, the, the second greatest fear that we have is death. And uh, as Jerry Seinfeld observed, um, the worst possible scenario would be having to speak at your own funeral. <laughs> but uh, in, in all seriousness, I think death is a mystery. And um, uh, in fact, that brings to mind a, a story from the Zen tradition. Uh, an apprentice was uh, asking the abbot uh, about 
death? What happens after we die? And the abbot said, well, I don't know. And the apprentice was not very pleased with that answer and said, I thought you were a Zen monk. And he said, well, yes, I am a Zen monk, but I'm not a dead Zen monk. So I don't know what happens after we die. So I think there is a great mystery. Uh, and, and death is our greatest enemy, right? I mean, we all down through life, we're evading death. And um, we've never been dead before. And so that unknown, the fear of the unknown, I think is great and it's mysterious. And it's, it's um, we don't know what all is going to happen there. And so I think it, it causes us fear. And that is probably why I, I have observed, though, being a funeral director over the years, that as people age, as we grow older, our fear of death becomes less. And uh, it's amazed me as I've, especially when making what we call pre-arrangement, someone comes in and plans their funeral ahead of time, um, setting across the table from people who have gotten terminal diagnoses, uh, diagnoses and the, the um, lack of fear and the acceptance. And um, it's just always amazed me. And so I would say the majority of people at that time in a, in a, in a normal, let's say a, a natural death, um, come to a real acceptance uh, of it. Um, when we <clears throat> face major uh, battles in our life, health battles, and, and we're faced with our death, then a lot of the things that are not so important fall away. And, and, and we become really focused on what's truly important to us in life. And I think that we, we get to a place where we're, we're ready when that time comes. At least that's been my experience. Um, you know, if I died today, I tell people, if I died today, I would, uh, I would feel very fulfilled. Um, I'm not afraid of death. I don't want to die today. I want to see my grandchildren grow up and attend little league ball games and things like that. But if God's plan for me was to, to die today, I would die a very happy, fulfilled person. Um, so I think, especially as we get older, I think we, we come to terms with death and are at peace with death often. That's a great insight. In your work, you obviously work day in and day out with folks who are grieving to yes. varying degrees. Sure. I'm wondering if you have any insights into how to grieve more mindfully, maybe perhaps with, with more loving kindness towards ourselves in that process. Right. All right. Absolutely. Um, grief there's no easy way through grief. <clears throat> grief is the most difficult journey uh, we will ever go on. And uh, there's no linear path through grief. You know, it's uh, two steps forward and sometimes three or four steps backward. And I, I think, especially in America, I think we're, we're so used to seeing progress for our efforts uh, in life. And, and sometimes we don't see that right away when we're grieving. And we are, uh, so often grief is is uh, compared to being in a wilderness, which I think is very accurate. 
I, I like to think of it sometimes as being in a, a marsh, being in a, a bog where you're you're trudging through uh, waters that are are and your your feet get stuck in the mud and and it's work. It's painful to get through that. So I think we need to establish first that there's no easy way through grief. Grief is going to be difficult no matter what um, you know we can say here today. However, I think there are some some things that we can be mindful of that could help us through that process. And, and one I would suggest is to, to treat ourselves as we grieve mindfully, like we would treat our best friend who was grieving. Uh, we're not going to be hard on them, so let's not be hard on ourselves. And just to, to keep that in mind, to, to treat ourselves with kindness and, and in a, in a way, lower our expectations. Um, again, there's no steps, you know, easy steps through grief. We think of, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's steps of grief, which she, she uh, wishes she would have never wrote, she says, but it was really geared toward people who were faced with a terminal illness, but they've been applied to grief. And so uh, we get this impression that, okay, I've, I'm done with the denial and I'm done with the anger stage. And, and we're just working through these very methodically, very systematically. And that is not grief at all. Um, grief is, is uh, you know, just is a maze that we wander around in until we finally start seeing uh, some light at the end of the tunnel. So I think being easy, easier on ourselves, not being so hard uh, on ourselves, um, you know, and also retain hope, always retain hope. You will get through this. Um, this is not, grief is not new to uh, the human race. We've dealt with it down through and you will get through it. You will not get over it. It becomes a part of us, but you will get through it. And so I think we have to retain hope. And another thing that I would recommend doing, especially after the initial uh, overwhelming nature of grief, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote the classic, A Grief Observed. And, and I would recommend that people observe their grief as a third party and to be curious about their grief and their emotions and to ask themselves, okay, uh, why is Tom feeling sad right now? You may already know the answer, but what you're doing is you're, you're moving. We have to move our emotions from our limbic system in our brain, you know, that emotional uh, uh, part that the fight and the flight and the, and the anxiousness, and we move it to, when we question it, uh, and we start thinking about it, we can move it to the prefrontal cortex of our uh, of our minds, of our brains. And, and at that point, then, uh, we can think uh, about our emotions and not be so attached to our emotions. Uh, and not to get into neuroscience, but there's there's a lot of research on that to where that that will help us. So observing our grief <clears throat> and our emotions as if, uh, we're a third party and uh, <clears throat> becoming curious and asking ourselves questions and not 
being judgmental. Uh, you know, not saying, Amy, you know, you need to, you should, you should be further along in your grief. There's no timetable to grief. And so uh, you have to move at your own pace. But I think those are some things that would help us uh, be more mindful and, and move through our grief uh, more mindfully. Thank you for sharing that. You have told me that there's a time and a season everything yes yes i'm wondering what mindfulness and grief have to do with one another well that's that's good uh, i i often reference uh, the scripture in ecclesiastes that, that talks about the the times and the seasons for everything i think what and i think it really speaks to the heart of where we're at in our culture today um, you know, the scriptures say there's a, there's a time for dancing and a time for mirth. And, and I think that when it's time to dance, then we need to dance and we need to have fun and enjoy and be happy. But there is also a time to grieve and a time to mourn. And what I see people doing today is trying to bypass grief, uh, trying to set grief aside and to, they're, they're, misplacing emotions. They're, they're taking emotions that of, of, you know, I just want you to hear things like, well, I just want people to laugh and have a good time at my funeral. And, and so they just want to party at their funeral. Well, it's not the time for party. There is a time for partying, but now is the time to grieve and grieve. We must, we have to fully grieve in order to move ahead in life and not get stuck in life. And so let's just have a celebration of life and let's meet down at the country club and let's have a party and all tell funny stories. And so they're, they're misplacing emotions. They're putting the wrong emotions for the moment instead of taking that time to fully grieve the loss and to feel the pain and, and the hurt and the suffering in order to move through that, they set those emotions aside. And what happens uh, they they get into a situation where they misplace their grief and it comes back uh, to get them down the road because we will grieve. Make no mistake about it. We will grieve. And so it's best to do it in a healthy manner uh, instead of, of trying to uh, act like it doesn't exist. So uh, in order to be more mindful of that, I think we have to uh, apply the, the right emotions at the right times and definitely be mindful of that. I think a, a great connector question. I, I hear this theme already that we must feel. Yes. Feel pain. We must be mindful of pain and the time, uh, the season that we're in. Yes. But Tom, <laughs> so um, many of us, we may feel these things, but uh -huh. I, I, I'm not sure we're just innately equipped to know how to sit with it. Oh, um, right, I think there's, right. there's, there's this natural inclina inclination to run from it or, or like yes. you had mentioned, stuff it down or ignore right. it or, you know, pretend it's a different season. Um, right. It's not um, mm -hmm. sometimes addictions crop up during this time oh, or resurface, you know, yes, I'm sure that's right. very common. Um, and I'm wondering what tips you might have around how we feel the pain, because as you said, you don't get over it. 
you right. must get through it. It must be felt. How, how do we do this? Well, we're, we're living in a culture today that we're not accustomed to pain. We're accustomed to pleasure and we want pleasure and we seek pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. And we, we don't want any pain in our lives. And so, you know, the, I'm thinking back to the, um, the 1960s where, you know, the mantra was, if it feels good, do it, which is really horrible advice. Uh, but the opposite of that concerns me more. And that is, if it feels bad, make it go away. That's the reverse of if it feels good, do it. It is, if it feels bad, make it stop, make it go away. And so we have, we have trained ourselves to just seek pleasure and to avoid the pain. And, um, and we have to be able to learn to sit with those negative emotions uh, in order to heal from, from the pain. We've got to feel it. So what I would recommend doing when we are feeling hurt and we're feeling sadness and longing and and all of these feelings, these negative emotions that go with grief, we can feel guilt uh, and remorse. And especially if there's unresolved issues in a relationship with someone who passes. And, and instead of trying to satiate those emotions or replace them with the opposite emotions, literally push back against that and sit with the pain, sit with it and feel it. Um, you know, one thing I observed today, it's the prescription drugs that um, doctors prescribe, you know, to help people. And sometimes, sometimes it's very needed. Uh, I'm not, you know, if it's very needed, but I think sometimes they're over prescribed. I, I sit with uh, widows who, I know when I'm making funeral arrangements with, they will never even remember the funeral service. I'm thinking of one in particular who told me not long ago, I don't, Tom, I don't even remember the funeral service. And so we need, we, we can make it through the pain. As human beings, we're, we're equipped to handle the pain, whether we think we can or not. And we can get through it, but feel the pain as unpleasant as it is, and then you will be able to work through that pain. If, if you don't, if you don't address the pain, you don't sit with the pain, you don't feel the pain, you will never get through grief. Um, so, so we have to push back against the desire or, uh, you know, the, the, you know, grabbing out for something that will take the pain away, whether that's a substance or, or an experience. Uh, and we can have, you know, the, the dichotomy of emotions, the paradoxical emotions that run in, in grief. You know, people, people think sometimes that, that the opposite of happiness is unhappiness. And it's not, they're not opposites. We can have both at the same time. And so um, we can feel joy. We feel moments of joy and laughter. I, I say a good funeral will have tears and laughter. Um, the, the paradox uh, of emotions with grief. Um, and so, and that's okay. But what worries me when I see it going one extreme or the other, if, if it's all fun and games 
and there's no tears, that's not healthy. If it's all tears and we can't remember anything funny or joyful, then that's not healthy either. So, so really the grieving process is a roller coaster of emotions. And I say, just feel all of the emotions and just experience them and you will get through it. That's good advice. I, I found that when my father passed that just writing, I, I love to write. And so just writing the experience, what I was feeling, sometimes poems would come to oh, me, or, yes. you know, little, yes. little short um, pieces of writing. And it just helped to put down onto paper what was happening inside of me to recognize it and be mindful of what, what I was feeling. Right. Sometimes it can feel very overwhelming. And, and there yeah. are even physical sensations that sometimes you just think, it feels like my heart physically is cleaving and that's scary. It's scary to feel even physically some of the things that happen to us when, um, when grief is intense. Yes, absolutely. We think, we think of emotional pain when, when we experience grief, that's just natural, but often we don't think of the effect it has on us physically and mind being mindful and and you know asking yourself how am i feeling right now physically and doing that daily and scanning and where am i feeling that it will it will help so much to be mindful of that and what happens sometimes is people <clears throat> try after a loss just to fill up a to-do list they keep a to-do list they keep busy 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 <clears throat> and they're not aware of the effect that the loss has on them physically. And they need to be more mindful of that. Yes. In journaling, you mentioned journaling. Journaling is a practice that has helped so many people uh, work through their grief to get their, to get what they're feeling on the inside out on paper uh, is a release. And, and it also will help as you look back on your grief journey and to see the progress that you've made in a very tangible way. And, but just to express what you're feeling and thinking on paper has been very helpful. Now, there are some people that they're, they're just not natural writers, and, and uh, especially men. Men struggle with journaling a lot, uh, and maybe being out in nature uh, helps them. And so there's, there's all kinds of things we can do to help us through this uh, terrible experience but um, but we just have to be mindful of what is best for us and and what helps us the most. Because I I see grief as it can be a very large energy. Uh, I have yes. a friend who says, you know, there are big emotions, but she likes to call it big energy, and that oh, yeah. we have a lot of power over uh, our energy if we're mindful yes. of it. And right. so right. she will, for instance, go for a run, and so yes. my friends will start painting and some of my friends will write some of my friends will take a walk in nature um some folks will be inspired by um some travel plans and we say you know i didn't get to do this with my beloved Uh um, and i'm sitting with it and i'm carrying them with me yes as i go about this journey and it's something um bigger than them i think there are lots of ways that we can transform that energy um as part of the healing process. One thing that we've discussed is um, 
not only how we how we can maybe grieve in a more mindful way, um, but I'm wondering how what tips you would give us on helping others grieve. I I know for me, um, our family has sustained a, an incredible amount of loss over yeah. the last four years or so it's been, it's kind of just felt like in a lot of ways, my husband and I have talked about this, that feels like in a lot of ways, like our grove has been kind of decimated, you know, the, the, it it just really has been, it's been unbelievable. Um, and, and there have been folks who have loved us very well. And I'm wondering if there's not necessarily a formula, but maybe just some tips, because I mean, when, when folks have lost, others who are loved ones, um, yes. it's hard to know what to say or, or not to say, or to do, or to not do. Right. So what, what do you find? Yes. Yes. Best? <laughs> yes. We're talking about grieving mindfully. Um, I think even more important is for our friend. If you are a friend of someone who is grieving that you're mindful and you're aware and, and how to, to uh, help your friends through the grief journey. And some of the best ways um, that I have observed over the years and experienced, uh, if you are a friend who is a good listener, that is the absolute best thing. Uh, If you have a friend who is a listener, hang on to that friend because so many are not good listeners. And and we have to, in fact, a, a friend of mine, uh, Doug Manning, who uh, was a grief counselor for many, many years, written many excellent books. Um, he would say that the most powerful organ in the human body, the most powerful organ is the ear, because people heal themselves when they talk and we listen. And so by listening, giving your friends a listening, and they'll tell you the same stories. I mean, they will, uh, they will tell you, especially when, when death occurs uh, in, in the initial few weeks, they're going to repeat the same story over and over again. You know, well, I had just, I just checked on him. It was 1130. And I thought I would go, you know, into um, the bedroom and just get a little rest. And, and I remember laying down and I woke up, it was 12.15, and I, I ran back in to check on him, and he was gone. And then they will tell you that story over and over again. That is how they're processing the significance of their loss. And so we would never tell a friend, don't tell, Amy, don't. You already told me that, Amy. Don't don't say that again. You've already told me that. We would never say something like that. We would just listen, and it would it helps them. And what happens is when death occurs, there is all of this support initially, right away. You know, you got people bringing over casseroles. What can I do for you? All your friends are around you. And then everybody goes back to their busy world and you're left grieving. And so what happens is grief builds up in us like a pressure cooker. And you, if you're a good listening friend, um, they can pour that out and then feel some relief and then it builds up again, and then they'll pour it out again. And it may be the same thing for for a long time, but then that pressure cooker builds more slowly over time. And so the best thing we can do as a friend to someone who's experienced a loss is to listen well. Uh, Doug Manning says that our friends who uh, are grieving need the three H's. 
He need they need us to hug them, to hang around, and to hush. That's the best advice. People often get hung up on, well, I don't know what to say. Well, you know, unless you say something really stupid, they're not going to remember what you say anyway, right? Uh, there's been a few times I've heard some very stupid comments from from very smart people. They were just they didn't know what to say, and something came out that wasn't wasn't wise. But for the most part, they're going to remember that you were there for them. And just, I'm sorry, I care for you. I can't imagine the pain you're experiencing right now, but I'm here for you. And and don't just leave it meaning in in, in words. You know, listen, Amy, if you ever need anything, all you have to do, come, you're not going to call. That's not our nature. Hey, Tom, you know, my front lawn needs mowed. Is there any way you could come over and mow my lawn for me? I just don't have the energy. You're not going to call and do that. You just show up and you mow, you mow the lawn and you just show up with groceries or you call and say, hey, we're going out to Starbucks for coffee. I'm going to be there at one o'clock. And they're going to say, no, I, I don't think I feel like, no, I'm coming anyway. And you show up anyway. And, and so, and then you listen to them and you don't give them advice. That is one of the worst things you can do is through your perspective, tell someone who is grieving what they should be doing. They don't need your advice. They have everything they need already within them. You just need to listen until that becomes clear to them. So, so being not non-judgmental, uh, you know, people, when they're grieving, they can say and do some pretty crazy things. Um, and uh, and I, I've, I've sat with people who are angry at God. And I, I remember particularly one, a pastor's wife uh, told me, well, you know, you got to talk to him. He's, he's mad at God. And I said, you know what? I think God's big enough to handle that. I think God can handle it. I think he understands our anger. You know, this happened to be a 16-year-old son who lost his dad in a car accident. And I said, you know what? I think if I was 16 years old and my dad died in a car accident, I think I'd be pretty angry at God for a while. But I think God can love you through that. And so we we don't need to give advice, even if it goes against what our rational brains at that time are saying. They're maybe not so rational at that time. And they're flooded with all of these emotions and so just letting them spill it out and you being a sounding board, uh, that is the absolute best thing. If, if no one took anything else out of our conversation today, if they could remember to be a good listener to friends who are grieving, they would make a world of difference in, in their friends' lives. Such great tips. I, I love the three H's. Mm -hmm. That's such a great mindful tool to put yes. yes in our tool belt so we hug we hang around and we hush i love that so the power of presence it, just your presence being there when someone is and it doesn't it, it, you know it's not just when we have a loss you know um when when there's an accident um uh, you know showing up for them and just being there you know, uh, is, is powerful. The, the power of our presence uh, is, is very meaningful. What came to me while you were speaking was that, um, that it's very powerful when folks come around, you know, the first line of defense while everyone, it, you know, who's lost a loved one is in shock and there is 
um, the casseroles and, you know, all the, all the things that people come um, right. bearing their gifts and their love and, you know, condolences. What I, what I hear in between the lines is that there is a second line of defense and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and beyond where yes. we need to be mindful. It, it would be yes. helpful to the world if we were mindful about being the next line. Uh, absolutely. Like, Remember, it doesn't end that day. In fact, no, it, I no, think no. In, a lot of, in a lot of ways it crescendos. Oh, it's just beginning. It's just beginning. Um, the, the, the hardest part is six months down the road, a year down the road, two years down the road, uh, when everybody else has gone back to their busy lives and, and important days come and go unrecognized. A second thing as a friend, just remembering important dates, anniversaries, birthdays, um, the anniversary of death. Um, we send out cards to everyone on the anniversary of death in special days, your first father's day without your father. That is a tough, tough day. And, and having friends who, uh, you know, get in touch with you and just say, I'm thinking about you today. I know it's going to be a hard day and I'm thinking about you. And so, uh, remembering special days, I think is, is one excellent way to to honor someone who's grieving. Very much so. Speaking about just being present, that that is really the number one gift that we can give other people. I yeah. feel like one of the the best lessons that my parents and, and particularly my mom actually um, taught me growing up because we lost folks who are, you know, my age or just maybe a little, right. a little bit older. And, and that is really shocking when you are um, a teen. And yes. um, I remember my mom modeling in her friend groups and then encouraging me to model the behavior of, of showing up, you right. know, whether it's flowers or a teddy bear or a, just a hug. Exactly. And just being there, you know, right. you don't have anything, but you're just there. And, yeah. um, that just was a natural thing for my mom. Yes. Like, you know, our family had sustained a lot of loss up until that point. And she realized that you need people, you need right. people just to be there to help carry yes, you do. what you're carrying. And um, I'm very grateful for my mom for teaching me that because yes. it's, it's easy to say, I, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Right. How, how is one more person hanging around their house going to help? But sometimes right. that's exactly what they need. It's it's kind of strength by proxy. It's you're you're giving them strength by being there, and and it, it's they're borrowing your strength to get through the most difficult time. And if you were not there, they would not have that. And so it's so so important, uh, especially in in this day and age where uh, we've turned to technology and we've become more and more isolated. And so uh, it's so important to physically show up. And I mean, if you look at the research <clears throat> that talks about um, what we need, uh, physical touch, looking into someone's eyes, um, we don't get that with technology. Uh, it's not the, a Zoom call or FaceTime is not the same as being there in person. And so, um, it's so vital. We used to, in, in, in our culture, everybody showed up and they hung around and they were there, uh, but it's not that way anymore. We're, we're all isolated and, uh, you know, it's just a, a reflection of our culture today, but showing up for your friends and being there for them 
and sometimes not even taking no for an answer uh, and just dropping by unannounced uh, and, and being there for them. It's, it's amazing to me that I'll have a widow, say, come back to the funeral home three, four, five months after uh, I've buried her spouse. And I can tell that that pressure cooker is just about to explode because there's been no one around and no one listening. And we'll sit down and it may be 30, 45 minutes and, and she's just just talking. And all I'm doing is shaking my head, nodding my head, occasionally saying, sure, yes, I, I can see that. And she gets up to leave. And you will never know how much you've helped me today. This, this has been wonderful. You have helped me so much. And she leaves and I think, I never, I didn't do one thing. I sat there and listened, nodded my head, head and she uh, she felt heard and seen and, and she was able to release some of that, that pent up grief. And so, uh, yeah, being there is so important for our friends and being mindful while we're there in their presence. My father's funeral that um, you um, officiated or how would you say that, that you managed? Sure, oversaw, sure. That you oversaw. Yes. It was about two weeks or so into COVID. And uh -huh. we were one of, I think, the last funerals that really got through before right. really funerals were yeah. not really happening um, no, no. because of the pandemic. And I have described the scene uh, to several folks where you know, it, it was very limited. I, I know that under normal circumstances, it would have been a very overwhelmingly large right. showing. My father right. gave a lot of his life yes, to did. the community. And, um, and it was sad uh -huh. that, that it was the way it was and coming to terms with that, that it was hard not having, you know, certain people or yes. large swaths of people to help with the strength and to help with um, reminiscing, you know, the laughter, right. there are lots of things to laugh about and there are lots yes. of things to cry about. Well, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. But I remember, um, you know, the sacred moment of, um, gives me goosebumps every time I think about it, but as we're driving along US 40 uh -huh. and we're on one side of the, of the highway and it's two lanes on one side and two on the other. And as we're passing people, even on the other side would right. stop. Yes. What a beautiful gesture. Yes. They don't know who's in the coffin. Right. Right. You recognize time has stopped for that person. And so yes. I will too. Yes. And the honor of that was really beautiful. And as we showed up to the cemetery, um, there were familiar faces scattered yeah. very far and wide, because, right, right. you know, folks were concerned about getting close to yes. one another. We weren't sure what was even really happening. It was towards the end of March of 2020. Right. And we didn't know, you know, there were people even talking about showing up in Tyvek suits and, right. and all kinds of things. And everybody, you know, was really wearing masks and scattered yeah. around and it felt post-apocalyptic. Honestly, there was a layer of trauma to even yeah, that. Absolutely. absolutely. The, the lack of certain folks being able to come and acknowledge the loss, right. the depth of the loss that we had sustained. And then just but we all had to be far apart. I mean, you right. really couldn't, didn't even feel like it was safe to hug people. Right, um, right. And so did you notice, what, what sorts of things did you notice around COVID funerals? Because that was towards right. the end of what was allowed. And I'm sure that there were right. lots of folks. Tell us about that experience during a pandemic. Oh, well, oh it, goodness, yeah, Tom. It was, we, we, yeah, we went through, uh, of course, 
um, our, our, the deaths, the families we were serving increased, you know, 35%. Uh, our, our 2020 numbers were 35% higher than 2019. 35% more families served in 2020 than 2019. Uh, and then we had over top of that, we had another 15% higher in 2021. So um, it was, I will never get over that. I mean, we got through it, thank God, but um, uh, we'll never ever get over the uh, the loss and not being able to, um, I mean, we got down to where we could not have any more than 10 people uh, at a funeral. And sometimes that, you know, there's more than that in most immediate families. So it was a very traumatic time. And uh, thank God for technology during that time, because we live streamed most funerals. I remember building the funeral home, Amy, in, 20, uh, in, in 2006, and I had just heard this thing called live streaming. And, and I thought, oh, this is going to be wonderful because, you know, people say you have a you have a, a sister that's in a nursing home in Florida and she can't come to her brother's funeral. You know, we can just put it up on the computer and they can experience it in real time. And I can remember trying to, and I was offering it free to families and all those years. And, and people were like, they're looking at me like, what? Well, we wouldn't want to do that. Oh no, we don't want to do that. And, uh, but we had that already in place and then the pandemic hit. And so it became a, a blessing uh, for people. I mean, I literally had family members um, sitting in the parking lot of the funeral home, watching the funeral on their phone while the rest of their loved ones were inside the funeral home. And we would take turns trying to balance, you know, the, the, um, the fear and the, and the reality of the, uh, you know, the COVID virus. Uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but there were people who came to services that ended up dying. It was a death sentence. They got COVID and then they died. And, and so it was a very real, real issue. And, and I was burying couples. I, I bet the first 30 years of my career, I had buried three or four couples at the same time. And they just happened to die generally. Well, I mean, accidents, yes, but, but you know, natural causes a few hours apart or something like that. I would imagine that in, in two years time, I buried 12 to 14 couples. At the same time, they died that close together. It, it was it was uh, it was traumatic. It, it was traumatic on all all involved, but um, uh, it was we we survived it and uh, we got through it. Um, but we lost a lot of loved ones through it, and uh, so um, I'm, I'm I forget what the question was now, but but it was it was an overwhelming time. And it was hard on families, so hard on families. And they died alone. They weren't allowed to even be in the hospital room. Uh, it was just traumatic. Uh, and it's going to be years before we ever overcome it uh, psychologically. There's some serious trauma issues from that. I've thought a lot around how grief might be different, how it might be processed differently. Uh -huh. um, in our bodies and our minds due to folks having to die alone and, and the, 
the distress of the family knowing that that was the case or right. just not being able to share um, the funeral with maybe, you know, the, the sister of the deceased or right. whoever it might be, very close family yes. um, having to make those decisions and the long-term ramifications of not being able to say a proper goodbye, right. you know, whether right. it was your direct loved one or perhaps the father of a friend or someone else who is not an immediate family member, but you Sometimes we just need the closure. We need oh, to we see do. the casket. We need oh, to see the picture absolutely. of them in the casket to say, oh, they actually have passed. There have been absolutely. people that I haven't made it to their funeral. And, and it's like, in a lot of ways, they kind of live on in my mind, you know, and right. it, there's not been uh, the closure of, I can't call them. That's right. I'm not going to answer. It's it's so important. And as a culture, we're losing that. Uh, we're, we're experiencing people not having services at all. Uh, and uh, there's lots of reasons for that. We could do a whole podcast on that. But but uh, as a as a professional who walks with grieving people every day, they need they need to come to terms with the death and to fully grieve that loss. And we're we're bypassing that or attempting to bypass it. And and we have it's going to cause very big ramifications in their lives down through the years by not properly and, and appropriately processing their grief. And uh, so, yeah. A, a topic that has come up randomly in conversations uh, a number of times over the last few months for me has been uh -huh. this concept of getting stuck in grief. And, and yes. I know in our conversation today, we've talked about grieving fully, grieving mindfully. Right. But there's also... Um, an aspect of getting stuck in grief. When, when have you seen that mm -hmm. happen and what might be ways um, to help yourself or to help someone else who might be there? Cause I know it's not, we don't want to judge. We don't want to give advice, but right. we, we right. also want to help folks move through. That's right. And, and, and at a certain and, point, of course. And there are people who do get stuck in their grief. And, and I have observed that down through the years and it, it perhaps stems from uh, maybe unresolved issues in that relationship. And I would recommend a professional counselor uh, at that point to help. Um, it can also come from isolating ourselves away from people. Grief, grief is our inward response to loss. It, it's the emotions that we feel when we've had a loss inside of us. And it's natural to turn inward. When you're wounded, you naturally uh, withdraw and you turn inward. At some point, grief has to turn into what we call mourning, uh, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Uh, it's grief in motion. It, the grief has to move outward. It's the outward display of grief. Um, and, and so we, we have to, our, our grief has to move. It has to move out of us. And so being around other people, and this is where a funeral service and a calling and a visitation starts us on a healthy grief journey uh, because we're able to mourn publicly uh, uh, our loss. But when we turn inward and we stay inward and stay isolated away from people, we can get stuck uh, in our grief. I think in some situations that I've seen, you know, someone said that love and grief 
are co-joined twins. And if we love, we're going to grieve at some point. And so uh, grief is the, re is the result of love. And, and so I think sometimes some of these emotions get a little bit distorted in some people and they cling to their grief because they feel like that is showing love to their, to their spouse or, or whoever it is. Um, and, and so they get stuck in that. I, I'm thinking of some people I know right now that they are stuck in that and they are, they are not moving forward because they're feeling that that if, well, if I stop grieving, then that means I stop loving. And that's not the case, but they need some help to get through that. Um, you know, grief is not created equally. Um, uh, all grief is not the same. I, I'm here to tell you as a 32 year funeral director, all grief is not the same. My grandfather passed away uh, in, in December of 2020, and he was 95, almost 96 years old. He was my hero. I loved him dearly. But my grief for my almost 96-year-old grandfather can't not be compared to a friend of mine who just lost her 30-year-old son to a drug overdose. It, it's just not, there may be elements of the same loss, but they're just not on the same scale. And so, you know, all grief is different and every grief experience is different. You know, you might uh, have lost your uh, 50 year spouse and your friend may have lost their 50 year spouse and have two totally different experiences. Um, grief is very nuanced, but but all grief is not the same. And there is some grief that is is uh, overwhelming. And I, I recommend people get professional help through that. And in addition to our friends who who listen so well and and help us, there's there's grief that that needs uh, some professional help uh, to help point the way uh, so they don't get stuck in uh, in all of the emotions and the remorse and the guilt. In any relationship, you have some guilt. I could have done. I hear that all the time. Um, you know, in, in I probably hear it more when people lose a child than anything, but but I could have done this. I should have done that. Uh, I could have maybe you know if I'd have just done this. And and there it, with with grief, there's going to be some guilt, and and we really we really have to work through that guilt and not be hard on ourselves and 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 understand um, you know especially with suicide suicide, uh, there's a lot of guilt in survivor guilt there. So sometimes we need a, a professional to help us through through these things. And there's nothing wrong with that. And, and uh, we have, you know, if anybody needs one, uh, I can certainly recommend uh, one. We have excellent counselors that we work with. And so, so we, we don't want anyone to feel isolated and not reach out for help if they need help. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We are going to wrap up this section of the podcast and I invite you to listen for next month's episode where we finish this conversation with Tom Sproles. Um, so make sure you check back and subscribe to the Mindfulness Academy podcast. We'll be back soon.
Today's episode is sponsored by Good Aim Communications. If you'd like to learn more about this digital marketing agency and what it can do for you, visit goodaimcommunications.com.